0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. For those of you who are visiting who brought young people, you can pick your kids up after the service at room 230, room 232 from Kingdom Kids Celebrate. Have a good time. Uh, On Tuesday of this week, we... um, we had people come to my house the youth group are celebrating this new thing called Tuesdays Together and so from two to four o'clock they came to our house many of you know where we live right along the Greenway Trail and um, we came to do a bird walk over the course of the stay at home I really got into bird watching and so we invited them over and we walked and we looked at God's creation specifically birds we tried to see how many species we could see in the two hours it was awesome um, I think we saw 26 species, so that was uh, pretty exciting for us. One of the species that is indigenous to this, and is that the right word, indigenous to this area, are brown-headed cowbirds. They're really interesting birds, you know. Uh, they look very unassuming. They're, they have a brown head, and they have a black body, and they look just like a regular brown-headed bird with a black body. I mean, they're very, you know, nothing special about them. But the behavior is what's amazing. These birds will find the nest of another bird. And they will lay an egg in that nest. And then the other species of bird sees this egg and cannot distinguish between a big egg and a little egg. And it's dramatic. If you see pictures of nests with cowbird eggs in them, you can see that they're ginormous. There's no way that we would not be able to distinguish between them. But the other species of birds cannot. And so they sit on the egg and when the egg hatches, they feed the baby. Well, a cowbird is significantly larger than the bird that they lay the nest in. So, uh, pretty soon this cowbird gets gigantic, and it begins overpowering the other birds. It's the one with the loudest chirp, it's the one that eats the most, and so the female or male bird who's ever feeding just almost by default feeds the bigger bird until pretty soon the baby cowbird's big enough to kick the real birds out of the nest. And now you have one cowbird being fed by a bird of another species. All because those little birds cannot distinguish between an egg of its own and an egg of the enemy. We'll say it like that. You know, many of us have done similar things in our spiritual life. We have learned things along the way. We've learned assumptions, presuppositions. We've learned falsities that we apply to our heart, that sort of nest in our heart. But we're unable to distinguish between the two. So what we end up doing is feeding the lie in our heart until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it kicks out God's truth. And so a very important piece to what we're doing here in this series called Everyday Worship is getting back to God's words. The place where we find all of the truth for what it means about who we are, who God is, our plight here on earth, and what we can look forward to in the form of blessings and really threats for the future. You see, the word of God is an essential element of our everyday worship. I could encourage you to spend every day constantly bringing your mind back to the Lord and seeking to live life, as we talked about last week, quorum deo, before God or in the face of God. But if I didn't point you to God's words, then I would be pointing to you a place where you would be ready and almost willing to fill the nest in your heart with cowbird eggs, with falsities and lies instead of truth. I mean, the words of God, the Word of God, the Bible declares who God is. It's the basis of our worship. The Word of God describes who we are as worshipers. It prescribes our worship, Now, not necessarily in form, but in its fervor, in its faithfulness. It gives us reason to worship. And perhaps most importantly, God's Word is truth, and without it, we're left to our own best judgment and thinking. Now, I don't know about your best judgment and thinking, But my best judgment and thinking didn't get me to very good places. We need God's will in our lives, God's truth. So today we turn to Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's very long. Um, We were laughing in the staff meeting when they asked what I was preaching. I said Psalm 119. I forgot to put the verses on the end, and they were like, the whole thing, 175 verses? No. Today we're going to focus on verses 9 through 16. Now what's interesting about Psalm 119 is it's written in the form of, a cross, of an acrostic. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Psalm 25. That means that every one, so there's 22 verses and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Every verse, by and large, there's a few outliers, but every verse in each couplet of eight verses begins with the first letter of the next letter in the alphabet. So for instance, the first verse eight verses of Psalm 119 start with the letter Aleph, which is the sort of the letter A in Hebrew. The second eight verses is bait, which is what we're going to study today, verses 9 through 16. And so if you have your Bibles, certainly open them up. They will be up here as well. Um, and so let's talk about some of the principles for everyday worship that, is, that are embedded in God's word here at this point so the first thing we need to really really understand this is probably the most important part of my entire message this is really important is one seek God in his word seek God in his word the question how can a young man keep his way pure and he answers himself by guarding it according to your word Now, when we talk about the word, we talk about the Bible. I was telling Elaine the other day, I said I often use this shorthand of saying God's word very much, and you'll hear me say it throughout my message. But I think sometimes it does a disservice to myself and maybe to you when I focus on the fact of God's word being the Bible. What we end up doing is elevating the Bible instead of elevating God, the person who wrote the Bible. So I told her, and I'm going to try to make a concerted effort to when I refer to the scripture to say God's words. God's words, because there is a person behind these words that we read. And if we miss that, we miss out on what true everyday worship will look like. So what is the good life? He asks, how does a young man keep his way pure? I mean, that's a reasonable question. How do I live a pure life? Well, what does that mean? Does that mean a life of comfort, a life of health or happiness? My favorite, a life of no drama a life filled with family, or a lasting legacy, or wealth. Well, the Bible describes a life of worship as one that is of total dedication to the Creator. That is the pure life, a life of integrity. In other words, living the way we were intended to live according to our Creator's will. It's where every desire, thought, and action in our life all line up with God's will, The idea of morally clean from the heart, that I I think what is right, I feel what is right, and I do what is right. This is the good life, and we get that confused sometimes. I remember when I was doing memorization for the first time of God's word, there were several flashcards that I purchased, um, like sets. And one of the cards was this psalm, Psalm 119, verses 9, comma 11. 9 and 11. So that's what I learned. I never thought to go back and see what verse 10 says. And so we're going to look at it right here. And I think it's a disappointment that we missed out on this verse when I was memorizing. Because it's essential to understand our attitude that we should come to God's word with, the way that we should approach the Bible. With my whole heart, this is verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. You see, obedience becomes worship when we recognize that it's God Himself who's speaking to us through the pages. You have often heard it said, or as an analogy, what if someone that you truly love wrote you a love letter? And it was the most flowing love letter. It spoke directly to your heart. It knew you and it spoke well, beautiful words. How often would you read that letter? How often would you absorb it and want to reread it, all those words? And would we be thinking about the words themselves or would we be thinking about the sender, our love? We'd be thinking about the person behind the words. You see, the word is not God. The word is not God. There's a term that's sometimes levied against us, and I think that is sometimes correct. This word is called bibliolatry. It's the idea of idolizing God's word to a place where we worship it, instead of worshiping the God behind the Bible. Now, I mean, we're a Bible church. It's it's our middle name. Many of us went to Moody Bible Institute. It's in their middle name. We love and are obsessed in a positive way with the word. But we miss out on what everyday worship is if we fail to see that God himself, there's a person writing to us, using the men and women who wrote the Bible, using the words on the page, but a person. While the Bible is the work of human hands and minds, it is the very words, the words of God. The Holy Spirit worked through distinct personalities, language, contexts of the individual authors in order to superintend the writing that would be his very declaration to mankind. The words that we use are verbal plenary inspiration. This is the idea that every little jot and tittle, even down to uh, the small... The smallest of the hebrew letters the yud every little letter is god's very word so while we are called to god's word to better understand it we need to understand that when we do so we better understand god now that's not to say when i emphasize the fact that god has written the word to us that it's god's words uh, that it's not important in fact it's quite the opposite The Bible is essential. The Bible is necessary because everything we truly know about God comes through his special revelation. You see, we can look outside, and I do this often when we're walking, I look at God's creation, even on the bird walk I thought about it. That everything shouts out, God exists. I am here. I made this. Everything. Yet anything specific I know about God comes from his special revelation through his word applied to my heart through his Holy Spirit. And that's something different altogether. When I sit down at my kitchen table in the morning or whenever I have the opportunity and I open up my Bible and I look to a specific chapter and verse, what is my posture towards it? What is your posture towards God's words? When you open the word, does it seem like God is looking back at you? Because it should because you are coming face to face with your creator. When you open that book and you read those words and you understand the principles and context, it's God, a very God, speaking to us. I mean, God speaks to us through his word and he tells us who he is. We would know nothing really about him except that he was powerful and all wise. We would need to know, we wouldn't know who we really are. I mean, do you think we could get to the idea... That we are universally fallen and broken humanity? Do you think we could get to the idea that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God without his word? I don't think so. Because we have evidence of it today when we see people who have discarded the Bible and we hear phrases like everyone's good at their base nature. People are surprised when humans make bad choices. Those of us who know God's word should know that... We should never be surprised when human beings make bad decisions, when human beings sin. Because at the, at the end of it, at the, or I should say at the beginning of it, the foundation of it, it is who we are. Not only are we sinners, but we're made in God's very image. We're cherished by God. We're loved by God. In fact, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Everything we know about who we are comes from God's words. What he demands of you then, both in obedience and in warning against what you should not do. And then finally, what blessings and yes, even curses we might expect for obedience and disobedience. The attitude we have when we approach God's words tells us something. It tells us about uh, what we think God to be. It tells us who we think we are. I mean, in the end, Bible studies should not be torture. I've had that feeling. There's been days, sometimes weeks, maybe two weeks, that I've gone without reading the word for myself. It's easy to read the word in the preparation for a message. It's a lot different to open it up and say, okay, God, what do you have for me today? And Getting back into it, I say, oh, I, I really gotta get back in God's word because I'm a lead pastor. I really gotta be, I mean, that's my job. I need to be right if I expect anyone else to be right. And there's some truth to that. But in the end, I'm completely approaching it with the wrong attitude, aren't I? It should be, God, what do you have for me? God, I need you. Do you feel that longing in your heart? That when you walk day to day and you interact with people in the chaos of life, Lord, where are you? I need you. God's words to us are the answer. It's a time with God. It's a time for renewal and a time for intimacy, the intimacy that we so long to have. How many of you feel distant from God for most of the time? I know I see other people, and this is wrong. This is something I call judging my insides by someone else's outsides. Okay, that's a statement I've heard before, and I think it's so true. And the inside, I feel distant from God, but I look next to me, and I see someone. What are they doing that I'm not doing? The truth is, is there are times when we all feel far from God. and Lots of reasons for that. But I will say this is a big portion of it is we're not spending time with God himself. I'm going to be opening the Bible because today is this passage on my you know, biannual reading plan. But am I coming face to face with my creator? Because sometimes we seek the wrong things from the Bible, don't you think? Knowledge for knowledge's sake knowledge for knowledge's sake. This is, and this is probably going to ruffle some of your feathers, to start my day off well. How many of you say, oh, I missed reading the word today and my whole day was shot, right? So I need to get back in the word and start my day off right. Now, I, I'm not supposing that we don't start our day off well with God's word. What I'm saying is, is it's a totally self-centered approach when we look at it. Because yes, there is truth and comfort and strength in what God has told us. But our we coming to these words with a recognition that it's God himself. And finally, we, we come to the word for justification and vindication. We use God's words sometimes to make ourselves feel better and to level accusations or to say that we are right and they are wrong. I mean, we do. Because God speaks to our hearts through his words, as illuminated by the Holy Spirit, it's of tremendous value, and that's the second principle out of this passage. We need to treasure God's words. If God has revealed to him, himself to us out of pure grace, a special revelation, and there's nothing we've done to deserve it, there is value here. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Hebrew word, this is a word that can be translated lots of ways. And if you compare other translations, you'll see. some. This says, I have stored up. Others say, I have hidden your word in my heart. Others say, I have treasured your word in my heart. And they, it means all of those. I like to think of it as meaning treasure. Something precious that we want to hide. We want no one to get to this because it's ours and it's sacred. It's something of tremendous value. We read about it in the New Testament. You know, The pearl of great price gets buried. So lest it get lost or stolen or, you know, God's word is valuable. I think Ezekiel 7.22 uses this word, too, and it's, listen to what it says. God says, God speaking to um, the Jewish people in a moment of disobedience. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Treasured, my treasured place, that temple, that holy of holies. That my treasured place, same word. So I need to treasure God's word. God never had to reveal himself to us. God chose to do it out of love and out of grace. And so when we open God's words, it's something special. It's something valuable. It's, what do we call the Bible? You know what the acronym for the Bible is? We hear it all the time in, in children's ministry. What is it? Anyone know? There you go. Basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instructions before leaving earth. There's truth to that statement. If we want to live the good life, if we want to live a life that is pure, that has integrity, that's sold out to God, the life that we've been intended to live, it's in God's words. God's words are the path of life. The answer to all of your problems are found in God's word. I suspect that if we are looking for an answer in God's word and it's not there, we're either asking the wrong question or our thing's not a problem. It's in here. And it often strikes to our hearts, not to the actual issue at hand. God's word is valuable. It says to store up God's words in our heart, and in order to do that, or to do that, we need to remember it's as important to store it in our heart. He says, I've treasured your word and stored it in my heart, our heart. To the Hebrew mind, the heart was the seat of thoughts, emotion, and will. It's not just emotions. It's not just thinking. It's our whole being. When we treasure God's words and we store it up and we, and we apply them to our heart, we begin to see a changed life. In fact, the phrase, take it to heart, because we could read God's word all day long and never do anything in it, right? The idea is when God speaks, we take what he says to heart. When we begin to do that, when we begin to see God in the scripture, behind the scripture, instead of just the scripture itself, we begin to live a life of everyday worship. We begin to be in tune, in conscious contact with our creator, the way he intended us to be. So, why do we store up and treasure God's word? Why do we plant God's word in our heart? Well, I think there's a, a nice analogy here is plants do not grow where there are no seeds, plants just don't sprout up. There needs to be a seed deposited. This is important for us because as we live our day-to-day lives, as we interact in relationship with our loved ones and the world around us, the Holy Spirit walks with us. If you're a son or daughter of God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And one of the offices, or one of the things that the Holy Spirit does, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to whisper to us, to say, no, don't go that way. Don't go, don't, no, too far left. No, uh -uh, too far right. Keep going forward. Don't go back. The way the Holy Spirit does this is through a declaration of His Word. The Holy Spirit reveals His will to us in our heart. And He brings up God's words. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and someone says something and this verse out of nowhere that you read I don't know how long ago pops into your head and says, This is an application? That's the Holy Spirit giving you illumination of the situation giving you discernment opening up your eyes to what's going on or you're living a life or you're about to make a decision and a verse comes up or you say something i get this all the time i'll say something that's not correct and a verse will just slam into my mind as an opposite of what i just said it's god saying nope you're wrong and i often have to backtrack and say no that's not right actually god's word says this We need to learn God's word to make sure the spirit has the necessary resources to bring to bear on our heart when the occasion calls, when the occasion calls. If you never learned God's word, if you've never been in God's word, you cannot expect the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the same way that he will when you have the resources of God's words in your heart. So it's important. And so we memorize God's word. We memorize it. Many of you know we have a ministry here, and we've had a a long-term ministry, I think 54, I think we've had it since, or near then, Awana. Awana's whole mission is to help young people memorize God's word, probably because of this verse. Storing up God's word in their heart that they might not sin against God. And so we see memorization of God's word is a biblical mandate here. But it's not just a biblical uh, you know, injunction. It's not just something that we're to do, but it's very practical as well. Everyday worship does not just happen when we've memorized God's word. We need to understand them. When we do the true meaning as revealed in the word, we finally have solid ground for worship. That's the third principle for this morning. Learn God's word it's not just read it's not just seek God it's not just memorize it we need to understand what it is we're reading because I don't know about you but sometimes I hear people use scripture out of context and it's like I get a tick you know? we need to understand and rightly handle the word of truth and so we need to know what it means verse 12 he says it right here blessed are you O Lord teach me your statutes Learning God's word is indispensable to the Christian life. Knowing how to interpret the Bible is a skill that gives us a clearer picture of who God is, who we are, and God's will for humanity. Knowing how to interpret the Bible rightly in light of uh, the Bible, so sort of Bible judging the Bible, requires us to learn how the Bible works. You know, when particular books were written, they were written in particular contexts. They were written with a particular purpose, a genre. And so we need to understand what it is we're reading. I know people who seem to worship God with their whole heart I don't question that but they have a very limited understanding of God's words of who God is and I often wonder I wonder who they're really worshiping I often wonder what's in their mind in their minds eye when they are worshiping are they thinking of the same God that I know that the Bible reveals or are they worshiping a God that is different than who he said he's revealed himself to be? It's an interesting question. Is worship really worship when we worship God for something he is not? It's interesting. There's a proper posture for learning God's word. It says it here, teach me your statutes. The psalmist is in a place of reception. He's receiving with humility and submission. The word for Uh, statutes here is a hebrew word that means boundaries like if you were to the fence line tell me where i can go and tell me when i've overstepped it boundaries which if we cross we would violate god's will god's permission what we receive will sometimes and should come into conflict with our own presuppositions It's really important that we allow the word, God's words, to dictate to us our view of life, our view of ourselves, and our view of God. Sometimes we go to tremendous effort to smooth out rough edges in our understanding to make God more appeasable to us. In the end, we end up making a God that is not the God of the Bible. I think we all do this in various areas of our life. We need to continue to work as we learn God's word. A famous theologian once told a story about how he had some sort of desk ornament, you know, like a paperweight or a plaque or something, and it said something like this, I'm not called to like or even agree with the Bible, I'm just called to preach it. He was making the declaration that I'm not exactly sure what the Bible says sometimes. I can't reconcile some of the things that are in there, one proposition with another proposition, and how do they both fit? They seem to be contrary. All I am called to is preach the word. And sometimes we're called to simply do that as well. Live according to the word. Believe what God is speaking to us through his words and to live like it. So what are some practical steps for learning the Bible? You don't got to go to Moody Bible Institute, even though I'd encourage each and every one of you to do so. No, they didn't pay me, but I'll plug them anyway. First one, so simple. This is like going to be so basic. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I would ask how many of you read your Bible every day, but I don't want to embarrass anybody. Okay? Read your Bible. That's the very first place. Open it. Open it. There are Bible study guides and books on biblical themes. There are Bible study groups here even at Grace. There's Bible study fellowship. There's other ministries that do this so well been doing it for decades. Do you ever see that beautiful library on your way in that is full of books that will tell you all about what God's word means? YouTube is a wonderful resource. YouTube is a place that we have uh, a plethora of videos, for those of you who are more uh, visual, who want to be able to understand a little better about God's word. You've got to be careful. You've got to find the right people. But you can learn some good things from YouTube there's another website called blueletterbible.org this is a really important one these two blueletterbible.org i'd encourage you to go on this website this website not only has all of the translations of scripture but it allows you to look down to the hebrew and greek words and gives you an ability to look at definitions and then it also has commentaries in there that allow you to as you're looking at that portion of the word click on a commentary and it opens it up some of them are old like 2,000 years old like Athanasius and stuff like that. Other ones have much more uh, up-to-date ones. There's John MacArthur in there. There's uh, Chafer. There's, so there's a little more up-to-date commentaries. It's a great place to learn. It's a great place to learn. Rightnowmedia.org. How, I will ask this question. How many of you have an account with rightnowmedia.org? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't have your hand raised, I want you to understand that we have paid for access as a church to rightnowmedia.org. And so you go into that, you get the link, we'll make sure the link goes out this week again for you guys. You go, you sign up, you enter through our account, and there's thousands of Bible study guides, videos, everything from parenting to retirement. There's everything in there. And so I'd encourage you to dig in there and dig deep. And finally, ask questions. We are blessed with a church of people who have been studying the Bible for a long, long time. I'm more than happy to answer questions. There are people in this church who I guarantee will give you probably more of an answer than you need, but they will give you an answer. You will get an answer. All right, fourth principle, declare God's word. Declare God's word, it's uh, verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. There's something that happens to our mindset when we begin speaking God's word, when we begin actually declaring it out loud. Uh, I began learning Spanish um, and my... Is when I was in jail, I asked my mother to send me stuff. So a grammar by a book, a Spanish English dictionary, and like a, a high school textbook or something. And so I learned Spanish from this book. Now, if I write Spanish or if I read Spanish or if I speak Spanish, okay, or if I write Spanish or if I read Spanish, I'm good. I could correspond with a pen pal in, you know, Uruguay. If that same pen pal showed up and started speaking to me in Spanish, I would have no idea what they're saying. And so I don't speak Spanish to people frequently because when I do, I sound very good. And then they start talking back, and I don't know of any idea what it is they're talking about. That's because I learn Spanish quietly in my cell with no one speaking to me, just with the book. Thinking it again and again in my head. Instead of actually declaring it, speaking it out loud. God has made us in such a way, it's so amazing. We're going to talk about that next week, 139, Psalm 139. The way God has made us is so wonderful that when we speak, it comes back in our ears and goes through a different way in our brain. And it does something different. It does something that that drives it more deeply into our heart. Instead of just thinking about it, but saying it. We declare things to ourselves, not just in our own minds, and it solidifies us. When we declare God's word, we grow more confident in its truth. Now, this is not name it and claim it, okay? Declaring God's word is not the same as having a wish, saying it out loud, and trusting God that it's going to magically appear, okay? So I have better phrases. This is declare and prepare. Declare and prepare, okay? This is declare God's truth and prepare for whatever God does. This is declare God's truth and prepare or declare and aware. Declare God's word and be aware of what's happening around you. Be on the lookout for God's answer to that prayer. One of the ways, I think, another way, practical way, that we declare God's word is we sing worship music. I don't know about you, but that third song we sang, a Getty song, that song blessed my heart. That song was just amazing. You know, as I'm praising, you know, and getting choked up and listening to the words and singing the words, declaring the words, it makes a difference. And so even in our day-to-day, we can declare truths out loud. I know there are times where I'm tempted, and I'll say something like, or, you know, I'm afraid, or, no, God has not given me a spirit of fear. But he's given me a spirit of self-control. He's given me a spirit of a sound mind. I don't have to do or think or say the thing that I'm tempted to say or think. I can trust that God is doing that. I love listening to Christian music with deep themes and a slower pace during my personal times of worship. It happens a lot in the car for me. Let me tell you this story. So when I was at Moody, we would do this class. It was an evening class, and we would start the class with um, Victory in Jesus by the, by the Gettys. And we'd have to get up. She'd make us clap. It was like, oh, my gosh, do we really have to do this? And so we did. At the end of the night, when we were all done, we had to sit quietly and sing if we wanted to, but sit in the presence of God with a song, a newer version of the song It Is Well by Kristen DiMarco. And so the first time I heard it was in this class, and I thought, wow, this song is just so powerful. It's just really, a, you know, it really drove home some truths, and I was able to just sit in the presence of the Lord. And I got in my car, and I drove home, and on the way home, I put it on. And God just did something. God just did something. Next thing you know, I can't sing. I'm choked up. I can barely breathe. I'm crying. I can't see the Eisenhower Expressway anymore, Okay. And so I'm driving, and there's all these cars around me, and, you know, and it's like 9.30 at night, so it's still rush hour, basically. And so, so we're driving. I'm driving, and my eyes are getting watered up, and I can't see. I have to pull over on this side of the road, and I sort of had this little image of like, you know, 15-car pileup on the Eisenhower Expressway. Like, oh, was it like a drive-by shooting? Was there like a, a DUI? No, it was a guy worshiping Jesus in his car because the song was too powerful. Something about music. Isn't it? When we declare God's word through song, that does something different. Different. It's amazing how God has made us. Fifth principle from this is that we need to meditate on God's word. Meditation gets a bad rap sometimes. We're going to talk about that really briefly, though. It says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Now, let me say this. The meditation that God is calling us to do is not the same type of meditation as you see in Eastern mysticism. It's not the same type of meditation that you hear about in Buddhism or in Hinduism or some practices of yoga. This type of meditation, in those types of meditation, it's all about clearing your mind, right? It's about becoming one with the universe kind of thing, losing your identity. In fact, that's the very point of Zen Buddhism, is to lose who you are in the own, right? Become one with everything and nothing on your own. You know, I believe this type of meditation is dangerous, and it's different than what God has called us to do as his children. Meditation here—it's a wonderful way. It means to ponder with thanksgiving and praise. To ponder with thanksgiving and praise. It means to fill your mind with what is good and thank God for it. I mean, listen to what Philippians says. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Some of us have a hard time worshiping every day because we're thinking about the wrong stuff. We're thinking about all our problems, we're thinking about how negative everything is, we're thinking about how terrible the world is, we're thinking about us and our situation, we're we're just filling our minds with junk. And the world is more than happy to pile on. If we want to have a spirit of worship, if we want to be able to live in a place of lightheartedness, trust, faith, joy, love, we need to focus our minds and our hearts and ponder what God has said to be true. Ponder it with thanksgiving and praise. It's not easy to worship God when we're dealing with a situation. It's a lot easier when we're thanking him for being in the situation in the first place. So for instance, Elaine and I, which never happens, might be in conflict for something. I don't know, we might be yelling at each other, really stuck. But in the end, my focus should not be on the conflict, my focus should be on Thank you, Lord, for giving me a wife. Focus on that which is good, lovely, and pure. It's impossible to live every day worship when our minds are focused on all the bad stuff. When we sit and we look at God's word, we need to think about implications. This is what God's word says to me. God's speaking to me, and this is what he says. What are the implications of this truth? So we'll go back to 2 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, I'm afraid then it's not from the Spirit. So I can stand out and step out in confidence, knowing that the Holy Spirit who indwells me, that God who empowers me, is calling me to have faith and trust in him. It sort of comes from the phrase, this meditation here, sort of comes from the phrase, well, I got to thinking about that. It's like we read something and then we let our minds sort of wander. What are the implications? when we begin to ponder the truth about Jesus and grace and heaven and God's goodness and every blessing we have in the heavenlies because of him, we will find reason to rejoice and worship God every moment of our being. And finally, last principle, six, we need to delight in God's word. Delight in God's words. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in all riches. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. If you were walking down the street and happened upon a briefcase of crisp, new, unmarked, because it said unmarked, $100 bills, what would your response be? I would probably lay in the bed and throw it up in the air like in movies, you know? I delight in it. How much more valuable is God's word than that money that's like just paper and probably devaluing day by day? (laughs) How much more... Valuable is the truth of eternal life to us. We should be so delighting in God's word. We should come to God's word and say, thank you, Lord, for what you have spoken to me through this word today. Thank you for revealing yourself to me because you did not have to. All I deserved is hell. Yet you revealed yourself to us through your word When we allow God's words to penetrate our hearts deeply and we allow what he says to us to change us, we begin to realize the awesomeness of Christ. We begin to see that, wow, everything God has done for us, totally on his initiative. When we're in the Bible with the right heart, we find reason to rejoice. And here at the end, last thing the psalmist says, I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. When God speaks to us, We need to delight in it. We need to treasure in it. So our points again, so you guys, in case you missed it, seek God in his word. Treasure God's words. Learn God's words. Declare God's words. Meditate on God's words. And delight in God's words. I don't know about you, but I don't want no cowbirds in my heart's nest. Because I don't know the difference sometimes. I'll feed a big, ugly baby. Sometimes I'll be like, dang. (laughs) Calvin just waved. (laughs) If I don't know any better, I'll feed what's there. So I need to make sure what's there is right. So don't be like that. Don't allow Satan to come deposit a false truth, a lie into your heart, and you feed it lest they kick all the good ones out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we, we fully admit, Lord, that we do not come before you when we're in God's word. When we open up the Bible, Lord, we, we admit we sometimes just see ink on a page. Yes, we know that there's truth there. Yes, we know that we can apply it to our lives. But do we really see you looking back at us through the pages? We pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the times that we've come before your word, We're not, you know, not valuating it, not saying that it's worthy, not saying that it's true. Forgive us for not treasuring what you've spoken to us. We pray, Lord, that as we worship every day, as we go about our day-to-day, that, Lord, we would see you in your word, that we would declare your word. And as we finish today and we, and we sing this final song, Lord, to you, we pray that you would drive the words into our heart that you would help us to see who you are and who we are, and that you would give us a reason to rejoice. Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media, at GBC Elm. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.